Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast Rookie Snapshot Edition. Eric, this is going to be our last episode maybe of the year because the draft is this coming Thursday, the 23rd. No one else can tell us when we can and cannot do our pods. Okay. So we can sneak in a rookie edition looking ahead and divvy it up into like 17 segments. I don't really know that anybody can stop us. Listen, Eric is not playing by the rules anymore. <laughs> that This fool has not slept for a calendar year. You're it just is, a company woman. I know who you are. <laughs> oh yes. I am definitely ask all of our bosses. I am the rule follower. <laughs> at the company. Uh. <laughs> um, all right. So we are going to talk about, we have talked about wide receivers and then we talked about running backs last week. I really enjoyed our show. I listened back to it, frankly. And, and um, I liked our grab bag, a mix of things, but yep. obviously the most important position in football needs to be discussed. Yes. Uh, this is the one, the moneymaker. And, and definitely the easiest to evaluate one that everybody hits on all the time, just ask the Browns. Yeah, no, I my my batting average over the years is like nine eighty four. I've never made a bad uh, an- analysis on any of these players before. I didn't I didn't have Patrick Mahomes, my third rated quarterback that year. It didn't happen. It just didn't. Oh, it's a little bit higher than the Bears, so <laughs> yeah, good for you. That's right. <laughs> um, all right, so we are going to kick things off with a player that feels like to extend your baseball analogy, a home run. It's the college football championship MVP, mm. LSU's very own Joe Burrow. Yeah, it was crazy, too. I mean, you know, if you'd asked me like last year, one year ago today, what, what could Joe Burrow be in the NFL? I would have thought, well, maybe like a, on the high end, a fourth round pick. That's really where, you know, day three evaluation was sort of what people saw. He finished 2018 strong. I mean, nobody could have seen what was coming and and. It had a lot to do with the talent around him. It had a lot to do with Burrow. It had a lot to do with the scheme. It was just this perfect storm that resulted in maybe the best college offense of all time. And he was the guy with the the ball in his hands every single play. And and you can't, you know, overrate his his boxy, his skill, his total package. And I also don't, I mean, I think the interesting thing about all of these draft picks, and obviously Burrow is the one that's expected to go number one overall yeah. and, and atop these five we're going to discuss is that none of them comes not just without their warts, but without their trials and tribulations. Because we have to recall that Burrow did commit to OSU. He was a redshirted freshman right in 2015. He played behind Barrett for two years. And then when he came to the realization that Dwayne Haskins was going to get the starting gig, he was like, nah, I'm out. I did not grow up the son of a football coach. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, there's two players who are sons of, of football coaches, but... Burrow's dad also played in both the NFL and the CFL as a defensive player, as a college football coach. Um, that kind of pressure is just enormous. He transfers after being a backup, not getting the job, and then look where we are, setting LSU's record for consecutive completed passes in a year with 17. Um, Heisman Trophy winner. This guy has got all of the things, and you're right to say it was a perfect storm that he has heading into Thursday night. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and my one word to describe him, you know, sticking with the theme we've done with these previous pods is cool, mm-hmm. Joe Cool. I mean, he's he's handled all that pressure beautifully. You know, he didn't he didn't pout on his way out of Ohio State. He just saw kind of the you know the writing on the wall and the way things were going, and 
you know, it was a tight rat race between him and Haskins. Haskins beat him out by a nose. Haskins played great when he got the starting job. When Joe arrived at LSU, he didn't even know all of his teammates' names when they lined up for the first game in the 2018 opener. So, I mean, you know, people look back at that 18th season, well, he wasn't that good. You know, kind of forget everything up until about the adjustment period. Yeah, I mean, he was still learning the offense, getting to know his guys, building a rapport. He didn't have spring football. He won the starting job over Miles Brennan. I mean, you know, you again, if you start from right after that, the disaster against Alabama in, in 2018, from the next game on those last four or five games of the season, whatever it was, up until this year, he played, you know, it was just like this line. It kept going up and it was uh, the bar kept getting raised. And so just so impressive. I agree. He definitely did uh, just ascend. He accepted every challenge and smashed it time and time. My one word for him was slick along Mm. the same lines as you slick. I mean, excellent timing, cool under pressure to me. Everyone talks about his accuracy, right? I think that's probably like the number one pro when people are discussing his skill set, but his processing speed to me is also should, needs to be attached to that that accuracy because it's not just um, a bodily reaction. It's not just a quick release. Um, it's also having the ability to be a full field reader and process and know what's coming and still have the calm to react appropriately, whether that is via his arm or knowing to run. And he has that ability. It's I mean, listen, he is not Jalen Hurts by any means, no. but he does have some mobility. He's not just a, a statue in the pocket. Absolutely. No, his pocket movement is exceptional. You know, did he get himself in trouble? Did he take too many hits? I mean, yeah, he, that's... I have about four negatives on him. And one of them was that, you know, I mean, he hung in there and took some shots this year and he, and he ran and ran in a way. Yeah. He's slid pretty well, but there were times when he exposed himself to injury, but all that stuff, that creativity, that that creative genius that he possesses, Mm -hmm. you know, was all on display there. I mean, it was interesting because the guys at Ohio state compared him a lot to Alex Smith. And so, you know, Alex Smith was, is really one of the best processors, in the NFL, obviously he's been hurt, but I mean, you know, a very mm-hmm. smart guy, extremely risk averse though. Whereas Joe, uh, you know, is willing to put it in some tight windows and take some shots. And that maybe just separates him just a little bit from, you know, that style of quarterback who, who's a caretaker, let's say. Yeah. And he has that cool that you're mentioning, yeah. the cool that lights a cigar at the end of a championship and can sit back in all of his Midwestern glory and know <laughs> that he left it all on the table and 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 smashed. I mean, I think that's good. So what is your one need to know stat or most illuminating stat? I, I guess I should say because his I mean, there are tons of stats available about Joe Burrow. Yeah, no, I would say it has to be the 17-0 touchdown interception ratio in the final three games. I mean, I just sort of felt like, you know, he played he didn't have a bad game last year. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I really felt like he elevated his game to an even higher level. There was the one throw against Clemson could have been picked off at a very critical point of the game. But, you know, for the most part, when it came down to it, the conference championship against Georgia, uh, the semifinals against Oklahoma, and then the the finals against Clemson. I, I thought, you know, you could make an argument those were his three best games or three of his four best games maybe. So, um, you know, it, you love to see guys do it when everything's on the line. So that's the one that that sticks out to me. We've talked about that, about prospects being able to put it together when the lights are the brightest, and Burrow has proven that ability, that he is up for the challenge time and time again. I love the stat that you mentioned. Also, his completion percentage was 76.3%, the highest among quarterbacks in 2019. Now, people are going to say, well, I mean, he had Jamar Chase, and he had uh, Justin Jefferson. So I will give you another stat. And that is his air yards on the season, which was 3,077. Again, QB1 for that statistical category. Mm. And to me, that is particularly illuminating because Burrow doesn't have like some super cannon, right? Some Paxton Lynch-esque cannon. But when you talk about his accuracy and you talk about his football IQ and the fact that he was able to deliver the ball and create those rainbows on the regular and not just, I mean, the air yards are not padded by a CD Lamb yak 
specialist, right? Like these are just pure throws that were in addition to his completion percentage. So I think the air yards also shows that even without a cannon, his uh, mental ability is able to deliver at a really potentially elite level. Yeah. I mean, if you stacked him up purely in terms of arm talent or arm strength or how, you know, whatever you want to call it against, you know, the top 50 NFL quarterbacks, all the starters and the guys competing for starting jobs and all that, you know, he might come in at like 36, right? I mean, he's, exactly. he's not that yeah. guy who's, like you said, going to, you know, he's not Josh Allen. He's not one of those Mahomesian kind of guys. But, uh, you know, I, I think that in a way is a little bit of an overrated thing. And you're right. I mean, the fact that more than half his yards came through the air, they weren't just these little dump offs. Yeah, they had a good screen game. It, it shows that he is a quarterback and he's not just a facilitator uh, on, on mm. an uber talented offense. That is an excellent way to frame it. Who is your comp? I, I kept thinking Tony Romo throughout the season. I think other people have, have said this too. And, you know, comps are a little bit tricky. But I love the fact that, you know, I understand Romo gets sort of criticized as the guy who made the critical mistake at the, the wrong time and all that. I thought a little bit of that was overblown. You start thinking about how many times that actually happened. It really came down to about three or four key games in his career. But his ability to throw on the run, you know, to sort of, create magic out of thin air to keep plays alive and you know Romo didn't have a cannon Romo wasn't a guy going to be throwing it through a brick wall what he did though was make the game vertical by getting his legs into his throws good mechanics for the most part he improved in that area as he got older and just that ability to like you said kind of rainbow those throws in to guys like Terrell Owens and and, and all the deep mm -hmm. threats they've had and, and Des Bryant so I just I see that type of career, you know, in in terms of maybe getting an earlier start, but it's that same type of player. Right. I, I like that. I saw that a lot and I've seen that comp and I, I completely understand it. What I have to admit, when I was first watching Burroughs tape and not just like casually as a fan watching the championship game right. against Clemson, right? Like just like actually sitting down to study, I kept writing down. Tom Brady question mark? Tom yeah. Brady question mark? Because it seems insane, right? It, it's ridiculous to put that down. And then the combine happened and Daniel Jeremiah comped him to Tom Brady. And I was both pissed because I was like, oh, <laughs> damn it. Why didn't I have the like the way yeah. to like sit up and say it, right? Yep. And and do what I wanted to say. And also, oh damn, that was right. Like, <laughs> you know, like there's a I mean, you mentioned the sacks and holding on to the ball a little bit too long. Right. And the other part of that con is that you can see the ice water that runs through his veins, no which doubt. is a very Brady-esque trait. Um, and I think it's like goofy mobility. Like he's slicker and smoother in the pocket than Brady, but also the game has evolved in such a way that that makes sense, right? He's training in a different way than Brady does, but he still looks kind of goofy when he runs. And you right. mentioned his awkward sliding, right? So to me, there is crossover. I have to admit for the rookie snapshot article that I'm writing, I wrote down Jared Goff because basically Jared Goff a couple of years ago was, you know, a bad Tom Brady. And so I, I feel more comfortable saying Jared Goff mostly so the trolls in the comment section don't completely eviscerate me. Right. Oh, look, I, the, the, the Tom Brady, like, footwork and pocket movement. I mean, Brady in his pre-peak, I thought was, even though he wasn't athletic, so to speak, the way he maneuvered the pocket, knew exactly how to slide and move up and pivot and things like that. That's the, the little thing that separated him from other quarterbacks. And just the ability to kind of throw from awkward angles a little bit. Brady could do it and, and dump off to his back and gain 17 yards because he could see things developing faster than everybody. So for, from that perspective, 100% agree with it. So it's interesting as we talk about your comp, Tony Romo and Tom Brady, I'm thinking about how those two players, Romo out of Eastern Illinois, a small school, obviously, Brady, you know, a late round draft, right. pick, which he loves to remind people of, both have this underdog spirit about them. Um, and I've often said the problem with Jared Goff is that when you're selected number one overall, it's harder for you to drink the Kool-Aid, sure. to become the, quote, system quarterback that Brady was able to become under Belichick, right? Like, I'm not calling him a system quarterback, but it's easier for you to drink the Kool-Aid and, and, and sit and watch tape and grind and be told that everyone doubted you and use that as motivation to prove everyone wrong. It's interesting because Burrow has a little bit of that about that as we talked about earlier you know not 
being the immediate starter and having to transfer from Ohio State. But if he is the number one overall, it'll be interesting to see if that grit sticks with him in a way that I don't think it has with Jared Goff. Look, I mean, I will say this. If you go to the Bengals, you're already kind of brought to that level naturally where (laughs) people kind of doubt you and say, uh, not too many guys have been able to have sustained (laughs) success there, right? I mean, Carson Palmer for a short period there. Other guys, sure. Andy Dalton, you know, got to the playoffs four times or whatever it was. So, you know, there are real bars and there are imaginary bars that he can set. I'm sure he could, all he has to do is go on Twitter this week and see some of the people who are like, Burrow's not that good, you know, and 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 yeah. find whatever motivation he needs. But I understand what you're saying there. That is the perfect way to get us to our next point, though, which is landing spot. We both expect the Bengals not to do anything. This is going to be a chalk pick that he'll end up in Cincinnati. I do think that it's more interesting and behooves Burrow more to end up with Zach Taylor, who, I mean, if we're talking about Jared Goff, sure. Coach Goff, right, is the quarterback's coach under Sean McVay of the Rams and is known as a quarterback specialist. So I think that maybe he's moving into the Bengals. I'm sure everyone in Cincinnati would like to believe this, at least, where the franchise is evolving or transitioning out of a darker period. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that makes perfect sense, too. And I mean, they have they have a guy on staff who was actually with Burrow there. Um, I'm, th- I'm forgetting his name, uh, Cragthorpe, I think. But the, mm. the quarterback's coach who was actually at LSU for a brief period with him. So, you know, there, there's some crossover there as well. When we put team fit down, I was almost going to jokingly say New England and kind of say, oh, hey, it would be a great spot for him. It's not going to happen, but it is the perfect fit. So, yeah, I mean, you can kind of look at it two different ways, I suppose. But, yeah, barring some unforeseen activity, I think he's he's headed to Cincinnati and and Taylor could be a nice guy to, as they grow up together and figure out each other's strengths and weaknesses to figure out how we're going to put this thing together and make a winner here. And he has connections and ties, obviously, to Ohio. So yes. that'll be a homecoming of sorts. Um, he moved around a lot because his dad was a coach, but still. Um, let's move on to Tua Tunga Viola. When I interviewed him at the Super Bowl, he corrected me on <laughs> how right, to pronounce his that. name, which I appreciated, though. I was like, okay, wait, Tunga Viola? Okay. Yes. So if Joe Burrow is the cleanest, if you will, um, least risk averse uh, in terms of from a, from a team's perspective, yeah. Um, player, then Tua has to be one of the riskier players. And you talked about a calendar year ago where we were. I mean, this was tank for Tua was the mantra for the Dolphins heading into the 2019 season. Now, I'm going to skip ahead and give a spoiler. I still expect him to land in Miami but not be the first overall pick because obviously, you know, people like to talk about his durability as a con, but it's not just the hip injury. It's also the two ankle in- surgeries, um, the broken nose, the concussion. There's been a lot of beating that his body has taken, which I is why I, when I watched him play, wrote unflappable because you don't, he plays with a toughness and no a poise and a confidence that is going to absorb hits, that is going to take risks with his body, that is very modern NFL. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. There's, you know, anyone who calls him soft or injury prone, oh. I don't, I just don't think, look. They've watched any of his days? Yeah. I mean, right. You know, then, then. I mean, there are plenty of other players that that could have applied to by that logic, and it makes no sense, right? I mean, he's a tough, tough kid. He's quiet. You know, he's reserved. You met with him. You saw him. He's not one of these brass, showy guys. Those people can be tough, too, as he was. Now, the fact that he didn't ever finish a season healthy, that he's, you know, finished a complete season, rather, you know, it does lend some concern there, right? And this is the absolute worst off season to have. I mean, if there's ever a good time to have it, I don't know, okay. but... The dislocated hip, the hip fracture, for for the doctors not to be able to get their their regular battery of workups and tests and more tests and follow-up visits, look, this is the absolute worst time to have it. So everything from October 17th you know, of last year till, till now uh, has, has been a really tough break for him. But you know, in that way, he's maybe the anti-Burrow, right? He's going to have plenty of motivation yeah. to prove people wrong. So, I mean, health is my one word. I, I couldn't go anywhere else just because, as you said, who knows where he'll be in five years? Who knows where he'll be in two years? That's just the biggest question without a, without a doubt. 
I also think the success of players like Tua and, frankly, Jordan Love and Jalen Hurts, who we're going to discuss, these more mobile Mahomes-Z-N, please add the (laughs) S-I-A-N, style of quarterbacks, there's a larger conversation to be had about career longevity for these guys, right? There's a brutality to their game that we as viewers love and that is at least currently, wildly productive. I mean, RG3 is probably the poster boy for the beginning of that transition. And so I'm not willing to, um, I am not willing to discredit or discount to a, based on the hits that he's taken when I also remember very recently Deshaun Watson lighting things up as a rookie and then tearing his ACL. Yep. I mean, you know, so. Yeah, go ahead. Go No, no, go you. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. Some of these injuries are impossible to predict, right? Obviously, if a guy has a pattern of them, there, there's something to it there. The ankles, the ankle things really did bother me until I talked to, to his doctor and he said, look, this tightrope procedure that they're doing now in their limited experience, because it's only been about 10, you know, less than 10 years that this procedure has actually been in, in regular use. The research suggests that the ankles probably are in better shape now. Like there's actually more stability with this little band that they put in there. Hmm. So those kind of things don't recur as often than somebody who, you know, had ankle surgery before this tightrope procedure existed and and would be more prone to further, uh, you know, re-injury. So that I'm not worried about. The hip, I mean, look, the biggest concern is really this necrosis, the idea of the blood flow to the hip. And that, and the three-month update should have given us pretty good indication that, look, he's, he's in good shape there. The chance of that happening is pretty low. But what if it's a knee? What if it's something else? I mean, you just don't know. And bad luck does happen in the NFL. And I, and I hope he's not a victim to it after this point because – you know, he would he would get those those labels of being fragile. And I just don't think it's 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 totally apt. It also negates an awesome game, like an awesome skill set, a wildly accurate skill set, a quick release. Uh, we've talked about the obvious rushing and mo- rushing ability and mobility. But like the touch, there is much more to this kid than just from the waist down. Um, he is an incredible processor. I mean, like his story, I think, I think also this idea, as you mentioned of like him being a quiet leader, a reserved personality. Unfortunately, he's also from Hawaii, went to the same, I don't I mean, unfortunately he's from Hawaii. Hawaii's a lovely place. I'd love to be from Hawaii. <laughs> I'd love to too. But, <laughs> but the fact that he is so closely aligned with Marcus Mariota, who went to the same high school and had similar leadership knocks against him, right? And then didn't pan out in the NFL. I think that's an unfair shadow to cast on Tua. Yeah. And look, you go to Alabama, who's in the locker room? Uh, you know, Nick Saban, the most accomplished head yeah. coach in modern college football, rock star assistants and future head coaches all throughout the building, the best strength coach in America. Five-star prospects everywhere. Pressure every single day to perform. You lose a game, one game at Alabama, and people are losing their minds. So there is a mental toughness from being the starting quarterback at Alabama. There's a pressure to be better than the guy you just replaced or better than the five-star who's looking to take your job. That kind of thing, is yeah. it builds character to an unbelievable level, I, I believe. And, you know, so I, I it, anyone holding that against him, I don't think has thought through what to have faced as a college prospect. Imagine being called on as a freshman at halftime of the national championship game, you know, in a, in basically on the road in Atlanta against Georgia and say, go win the kid. We're down two touchdowns. You know, we, go win the game, kid. We need, we need this one. And he does it in overtime. I mean, just, you know, there's, there's certain things about him that are, that are absolutely phenomenal. And I mean, again, that's why I wrote unflappable. And he also does that with the starter on the sideline, watching him and supporting and drooling and supporting and drooling at the opportunities and then being relegated to a backup. I mean, it's not like it's not like these two like had a breakup and you never have to see him again. He had to like go to work and deal with the guy he replaced every day. And also, if you had if you've done any research, not you, but if a listener has done any research on this kid's backstory his dad was not this like a lovey, cuddly millennial dad by right. any means. I mean, he lived by the Bible and the belt. And that is a quote from Tua's mom. Yep. Um, so he has certainly uh, learned to withstand pressure from a ver- very, I would say, from like two years old up. I mean, he's a he is right handed. Yes. Normally. May, yep. He, yep. 
And his dad was like, well, I'm the only left-handed person in the family, and this is my oldest kid, so I'm going to train him <laughs> from two years old on to throw left-handed because I would like a left. Oh, okay. There's a whole lot there. This is not a parenting podcast, but you can't call the kid soft. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, you, you worry about like, hey, is this a Todd Marinovich type thing going on here, right? Or Richard Williams and the Williams girls. You know, what end of the spectrum are we talking about here? But Beyond all that, I mean, he, he's developed into a great player who has these injury concerns. But, you know, I, I look and there's there's certainly some questions about his game. I mean, his mechanics are a little funky. He's got this sort of odd, you know, square body a little bit. And, and he's a little hitch, too. Yeah, absolutely. No, he cocks it back there a little bit. And some of those things have to be tightened up. But, you know, I, my my stat that I, you know, that I use to, to pluck from from his body of work was, the money downs last year, the third and fourth downs, he was 40 out of four, uh, 40 out of 55, excuse me. So right around that burrow completion percentage, 620 yards, nine touchdowns. I mean, yeah, there were, there were some mistakes, you know, he threw some balls up for grabs. He wasn't as good handling pressure, but when, when he got time to throw, he usually made a count. And especially on those downs where it was had to have it kind of a moment. So, you know, that, that to me sort of sums him up a little bit. My stat piggybacks onto yours, and that is that in 2018, as the Tide's full-time starter, he managed a touchdown percentage of 12.1, which was QB1, and in a TD-to-interception ratio of 43-6. to six. So again, this is not a guy who is defined just by his rushing ability. Yeah. Yes, he can impro, but he's also incredibly accurate as a passer. Yeah. And, and like, you know, as we kind of work towards the comps here, I mean, your your comp makes a ton of sense for the accuracy portion, and mine makes sense from a left-handed sense, I guess, but <laughs> similar body style, too. I went with Mark Brunel. I mean, that was the first guy that when I first saw him as a freshman in relief of, of Jalen Hurts not in the championship game, I said, kind of looks like Brunel back there. Now, he's mm. not the scrambler that Mark Brunel was, and, you know, he's not Steve Young either. I don't think we could put him in that category of, you know, athletic – you know, wonder and making guys miss. Yeah, he can do it. Um, his improvisation comes in different ways. But, you know, Brunel, they threw the kind of the same sort of arc to their ball and they were able to kind of drop it in the bucket. I don't think Tua has a strong arm either. Kind of pushes the ball a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, he gets to where he needs to go. That throw against LSU where he had to kind of step up in the pocket and his body's turning, he just kind of flicks it. Yeah, he threw the ball about 53 yards in the air. I mean, you know, and got it exactly where it needed to be. And it's just, Drop by Judy. So I, I see plenty of arm strength. I don't think he has a cannon. That's where I kind of went with Brunel. But your comp is one that, you know, other than the handedness, makes a ton of sense in terms of how he approaches the game and how he could be used in an NFL offense. Yeah, to me, he's very, he's a left handed Drew Brees, yeah. very Drew Breesian. The accuracy, again, um, he, I, I think his mobility is better than Drew Brees's, though I have to recall that Drew Brees is now 41 years old. So let me think back. <laughs> You know, a couple of years, yeah. a decade or so, more than a decade. Um, and obviously, he's similarly sized to Drew Brees as a six-foot right. uh, six quarterback. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of overlap. And I think when you look at the weapons that Brees has had and the weapons that Tua has had, there's also some overlap. And again, indicators for success moving forward or at least um, ideas in which he can best be used. Yeah, I mean... I still believe Breeze is one of the 10 best quarterbacks to ever play and maybe one of the five best. So, you know, it's a lofty comparison. But if you just think about, you know, what he would be able to do in a Sean Payton-ish offense or what he would be able to do where, you know, if he sped up those processes, and especially when you think about Breeze, look, early in his career, you know, it's the, the San Diego days weren't all that pretty, but he found ways to get it done. He learned what his strengths and weaknesses were. And I think that's the kind of thing that I could see Tua doing, maybe getting off to a little bit of a rocky start in his career. And then all of a sudden having kind of that mental fortitude to figure out, okay, I shouldn't be this type of quarterback. I should be more this style. And I think if he can stay healthy, he can survive that way. Staying healthy is going to be huge. And both of the teams that he's or either of the teams that he's likely to land in don't really have the offensive lines, at least at this juncture, 
to ensure that. Uh, where are you sending him? Yeah, I mean, my final mock, I think I put him to the Dolphins at five. It was like, all right, Dolphins fans, fine, you win. I'm going to put him there. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, we've been going back and forth on this thing for six months. And I heard plenty of chatter that they weren't interested. I do believe they like him. I, I just, I don't know if they'll take him or not. There's a there's a scenario where they could pass on him and try to trade up to, to get him or whatever. But yeah. The thing with the Chargers is what makes them so fascinating and why I think if the Dolphins want him, they cannot afford to try to pass on him at five and get him on the way back mm. is because the Chargers year after year are one, the quietest team around the draft. You cannot get information out of that building. Number two, their history suggests they're willing to take risks on great players with injury passes, right? I mean, Mike Williams, uh, Bosa had some injuries coming out of college. Um who was the other one I'm forgetting? I know they've had a few in recent years. Jerry Tillery probably got hurt at some point. Uh, you know, I I don't have the list in front of me, but a pattern's history of Derwin James got missed most of his last year in school. I say Derwin James and also Melvin Gordon, too. Gordon got banged up. I mean, look, they've taken guys with injury questions, banking on the talent, saying we believe you'd rather have a great player who has some injury questions than a good to very good player who has a clean bill of health because the injuries are unpredictable. That's their theory, at least. So you can't negate the charters in this equation. And right now it's Tyrod and Easton Stick. So, I mean, there's only so much appeal about that duo. Yeah, I, I think the Chargers and the Dolphins are also very similar in that they are franchises at the at the bottom, ready for a rebrand. Yeah. And what better way to do that than with a very celebrated player um, who has a ceiling that is certainly uh, accessible to people that you can understand, a household name. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, you know, you've got a new regime coaching-wise in Miami. Um, and I, I have a feeling that Miami is culturally, not in the, you know, party boy way, but, but in the... Um, we're new. We're we want something a little bit flashy, kind of way. Um, yep. A better fit for Tua. And they've for got the branding. I guess the branding is better for him in Miami. Sure. And they've got guys on staff from that Patriots group who spent a lot of time with Nick at Alabama. There was some crossover there. I mean, right. they have plenty of right. intel on the Alabama program on Tua. You know, obviously Nick Saban isn't probably going to be giving a, a ton of uh, Dolphins, uh, uh, you know, uh, secrets, but there, there's plenty of, uh, of, of ways to <laughs> know exactly what yeah. they're getting into uh, if they do draft them. Um, let's move on to the next player. It's Justin Herbert. We talked about Marcus Mariota, who was out of Oregon. Herbert is now the next big NFL quarterback prospect out uh, for the Ducks. Um there's some. I also want to say that when you've got Joe Burrow and Tua, then there does seem to be a break to the other three guys we're going to discuss, which is why I think it's a little bit goofy to hear all of these reports. You can tell me as our draft expert if any of them are substantiated or how substantiated they might be about Miami favoring Herbert over Tua, unless that is purely a risk averse um, in terms of durability thought process. Yeah, I... I heard those things from league sources, from people outside of Miami, not from f directly from the Dolphins or anything like that. Dolphins have played this pretty coyly, I think, throughout. The, the, the sense was that, you know, at the time, I kind of gathered that, you know, look, if you miss on Justin Herbert, it doesn't feel like as big a deal, right? You can miss on him and uh, two years later, you could draft another quarterback, you know, and they, that regime yeah. still could be there. But the more, as time has gone on, I've, I've believed it to be a little bit of, of misdirection by them. And I, and I could be wrong. You know, it, it could end up backfiring on them. I think they felt like the Chargers might favor Herbert. And so they were trying to maybe coax the heart the Chargers to move up or something like that. You never know, right? And Miami has interviewed top 10 tackles and defensive players. So it's possible they pass on both these Miami guys. Miami also has three, but Miami has three first-round picks and two in the second. They've and got two plenty next year. of opportunities. Yes, they, right. have all, they have more ammo than, you know, probably the the, the Bears and the Packers <laughs> combined, you know. So, sure. yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating. I First of all, I remember looking at the script, and we use our one word to describe the player. You used about 12, I want to say. I, but it, can you explain <laughs> I it? I, I didn't understand it. It's <laughs> okay. a little above my uh, my knowledge. 
Well, you've been very good, I have to say. You keep saying, if I'm allowed to throw in a hyphen, and I was like, damn, I'm, I'm writing phrases. Lyrics. Do whatever you yeah. want. <laughs> right. So there were two things, because in watching Herbert's tape, you can't deny the strength of his arm, right? He does have a cannon. Yeah. My key stat, if I'm going to jump ahead, is that he heaved the ball 62 feet while flat-footed at Oregon's Pro Day, which was in early March before all of the quarantine process began. Um, What's that, like 20 so, yards? 62 feet? I'm kidding. I'm sorry. You can't ask me to do math you on said the spot feet. like this. It's got to be yards, right? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. To I'm you. sorry. 62 yards. 62 <laughs> yards. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. 62 you. inches. That throw was amazing. <laughs> but I do think that... Um, lofted was the first because he lofts it he just lofts it time and time again but I also feel like the other side of that all right so here's my here's my (laughs) here's my tangent I had a dog who I loved very much he recently I recently had to put him down Uh, his name was Otto and he was the sweetest this part is not he was a very very sweet dog but he was kind of dumb and (laughs) he was always up in his head and I mean, like, like the kind of dog, if he was a person, you'd be like, oh, I know you don't want to be dumb, but you're just built that way. And so I'd always say he just do things. And I'd be like, what are you thinking? And I started this phrase called bees in the brain. And so he always had like bees in the brain that were distracting him from, you know, this, he was like a, a wiener dog, a dachshund. So he'd like jump onto the sofa and try to do something else, but get distracted midway. And I'm like, oh, he's got the bees in the brain. And so I think sometimes Herbert is trying to overthink yes. everything. He is so in his head and he's just got bees in the brain. And while he has this amazing arm strength, I think he's using it as a crutch because he just doesn't want to make a damn mistake. But but because he has this arm, it's like he makes the mistake because he can make the mistake. And if he had a weaker arm, he'd probably be forced to be smarter. I, honestly, uh, the roundabout way you said that was, you know, again, even with the dog metaphor and everything. I mean, that's that's a great way of putting it because you think about it. Like when I watched, I probably watched four or five games of his back to back, maybe like three weeks ago, whenever I was writing him up two weeks ago. Time doesn't really matter anymore. But when I was doing it, I kept saying like, man he might have the prettiest ball in the class. Like he just throws a beautiful ball when, you know, when, when, even when things aren't perfect around him, he still can throw on the move and throws just a really gorgeous ball. But to your point, I watched him against Arizona state, you know, dropping eight into coverage. And he looked like, like, what do I do now? You know, it was, it was maddening because, you know, he had a back that got free. He had a tight end work in the seam. You know, there were there were options there, but it wasn't readily available to him. Like zone coverage seems to mess him up a little bit. So that's a great way of pointing. And my one word is traits. I mean, like it just plays into what you said. I mean, he can move. We saw him in the Rose Bowl. He runs pretty well. Uh, you know, he can make every throw in the book, I think. You know, there's not one throw he can't make, but... Without pressure. Yeah, he's... and. To, to, to my friends over at Pro Football Focus have a great stat in the sense that, you know, when the pocket's clean, the best performers tend to have the most success in the NFL. Because if, if you can't thrive in ideal circumstances, you can't thrive when things are bad. However, mm-hmm. like you said, when things broke down, you know, after a certain point, he was he would hold on to the ball. He would he would throw it away. He would make decisions that have to be coached out of him. So how did you then get to well, – well, tell everyone your, your stats to know. Yeah, I mean, one of the best things I like about him, he's a great play-action passer. Like, he, he carries the fake through. He's able to bring his eyes up and immediately, you know, ideas, targets. Like, somehow, when there's structure, you know, he really does pretty well within that structure. He completed uh, almost 70% of his passes. I want to 69 and a half or something. 16 to 2 touchdown interception ratio. It was the best sort of, like, situational – football that he played and they drew up a lot of them there's only so much you know you can't play action on every single play but that was when his tape looked prettiest it shined I mean that was really his best moment so it's got to be a big part of what he does in the league I think so how who are you then comping him to mentioning some of his positives I mean same sort of deal with Tua. Like when I first started seeing him in 2017, I think he's like a more polished or prettier version of Ryan Tannehill. Big, strapping, athletic guy. If you want him to run, he can run. If you need him to heave the ball 50 yards, he could do it. You know, he can make tight window throws, but he doesn't always choose to do that. And that's really, you know, I want him to be taking more risks. And so 
Tannehill always left me feeling the same way. The difference was Tannehill came into the league with like 18 quarterback stars, whereas Herbert's been there 43 off the top of my head. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when I saw him at 17, I thought this dude's got a package. Like he is a future number one overall pick. He just never took his game to that next level. I just felt like he's sort of been a little bit flatline. And so early Tannehill, what is he? What was he? He was just like the same dude. Never got better until last year. So kind of feel like it wouldn't stun me if his career ends up going the same way. Herbert's going to make some money in this league. I don't think he's going to be a bust. I just don't think he'll ever be great. So I had I had so Tannehill I, body, Eli Manning temperament. Just a, He's just there, you know? He doesn't really – he's not a charismatic leader at all. I mean, number one, you cannot mention Eli Manning on this podcast, <laughs> on any podcast. You know I have a massive crush on him. Eli's great. He I is- love Eli. I You know, people – you know, poop all over him, but I, I like the dude, man. I, no. Yeah. I have an ongoing. That's weird though. That's, that's interesting. Uh, an ongoing hot ish dream about really? Eli Manning and his dad cargo shorts. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. But we, it's, we'll talk but yeah. We're going to do a separate a, pod a... just on that. Okay. Right. <laughs> yes. There's a recurring dream about him, me and an engagement party. And his mom is very upset <laughs> about it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, she does not like the floral centerpieces that I chose. <laughs> but don't worry, we sorted it in the bathroom. Anyway, before things get <laughs> too out of control, um, you mentioned that Herbert was never able to really like put it all together in college. And that leads me to my comp for him because, you know, it's not talked about enough, I think, that he had three different head coaches True. while he was at Oregon, played in three different schemes, was never really given the opportunity to have consistency in terms of his mechanics or what he's supposed Like, I mean, I think that's how you get up in your head. Like, well, I've been taught this thing, but now I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And like the pressure every time is more and more. And he is very Drew Lockean to me in that regard because Drew had, you know, as a Mizzou alum, had a similar trajectory. I think Drew also has a lot of the same, like a big arm that he uses as a crutch. Um, I think Drew has more swag. I've met Drew. I'm I'm friendly with him. Like, I think he has more swag than Herbert when you mentioned like an Eli Manning temperament, which I like a little bit of more fire in a quarterback. And that's certainly something that Herbert, you know, his his team spent the senior bowl trying to debunk the notion that he was this reserved guy, but that he could be a leader among men, if you will. Um, And so I think there's a lot. He's like a like an Eli Manning tempered Drew Locke. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm thinking a year ago, we were all saying that like Drew Locke was Jay Cutler, but with an Eli Manning temperament. <laughs> I think that was probably not correct, knowing Drew a little bit better. Yeah, now. yeah. Drew, I mean, Drew, Drew came out of his shell last, uh, you know, 2018 season a little bit in terms of his personality. Let loose a little, finally sort of felt like, okay, I'm the big man on campus. I'll act like it. You know, teams liked his personality, right? I mean, it was just sort of funny to watch him grow a little bit and kind of do that. Herbert could get to that level. I think he just needs the right place. I, I mean, I picked him to the Chargers and the Jaguars, like probably the two two lowest attendance teams in the NFL. I don't know, maybe, but places where he's not going to be thrust into the immediate spotlight and expected to be a savior right. from day one. Boy, let him grow and let him sort of stretch his legs a little bit, work with some weapons out there. Both teams have some talent wide receiver. It's like, you know, I could see both of those being okay for him. More likely chargers, but I'm just sort of thinking about any of the possibilities. Well, he could certainly under Gardner Minshew develop a bit more of a of a personality. Yeah. So if he went to the Jaguars, that makes sense. I too picked the Chargers just because they need a quarterback. I don't think Tyrod Taylor, as you said earlier, is the answer. Um, and I do think the Chargers, you know, when there were discussions about whether Cam would end up in Los Angeles, um, he did seem like one of the arguments was that he had the rushing, the rushing ability that the coaching staff coveted, but he didn't quite have the 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 branded personality necessarily the temperament that the ownership wanted and I think that Herbert is a nice compromise between those two things for this franchise I agree I agree 100% on that one all right let's talk about Jordan Love because this is a player that nobody agrees about one of the most divisive quarterbacks in this year's draft your word for him frankly is is frustrating so tell me why yeah I mean I'm watching his 2018 team tape leading into this past season, I was very excited. I saw the Michigan State game where 
almost led them back to victory, made throw after throw. And you thought, wow, this kid has something to him. He had the 32 to six touchdown interception ratio. You know, he seemed to balance the right level of risk and, and, you know, caretaking. And it was, it was, he had the tools he could run. He was a better runner in 18 as well. I just, I thought, wow, this could be big for him. Overlooking the fact that it was a brand new coaching staff top to bottom, you know, Matt Wells and David Yost, two really great play callers going out, different type of system coming in. And, you know, his two best weapons and most of his offensive linemen out the door as well. That had a huge effect on him. However, Love also made decisions that clearly were on him. I watched every single one of his interceptions. I would say all but about five, you could say, were definitely his decision-making. He could have gone elsewhere. He could have changed the trajectory of his throw. He is frustrating. I, I, the high-end throws, if you listed Burrow's 20 best throws, Herbert, Tua Tungavailoa, Jordan Love, he'd stack up right among all of them, probably even surpass at least two of those guys. So, the high-end stuff is great. The low-end is really, really frustrating. How about you? What do you have for a word? I mean, I, I love that you mentioned that there's just a large discrepancy between Huge. the ups and the downs here. Um, I wrote here for it. I like the kids' underdog story. You know, Utah State is obviously not the quarterback factory that LSU or Alabama or Oklahoma is. Um, and so he went to a smaller school. His dad, who was a police officer, yeah. took his own life when Jordan was only 14 years old, right? He wasn't even playing football really at that level. He was wanting to focus on basketball, but his mom was like, no, I, I think you should do this. He wasn't expected to be the, he didn't win the, I mean, even at a high school level, he did not win the starting varsity quarterback gig until halfway through his junior year of high school. So he's been an underdog at every turn. And I think he plays with that grit. And I, I, this is one of those moments and I don't want to get too like esoteric or philosophical, but I wonder if he had had the grooming and the coaching that the other guys that we discussed had had those opportunities, if maybe he wouldn't be so frustrating. Absolutely. Had, you know, I think had, you know, Wells and Yost stayed or had he transferred to Texas Tech, like had been rumored, I, I would have been fascinating to see what that end product was. Cause I mean, my need to know stat you know, this is the one that NFL teams are hung up on. 17 interceptions, three of them were pick sixes last year. 13 fumbles. That's the one that I don't hear as much of in, in media circles, but very important. I mean, he was careless with the football, right? He didn't take a lot of sacks. These came on plays where he was running or guys stripping him from behind, that sort of thing. There just is a lot to work with, but a lot to work on with his game. And, you know, like you said, NFL quarterback coaching is is a different thing than college quarterback coaching. So I hope that he can take this sort of, you know, graduate level stuff and be willing to put in the work behind the scenes because he's probably not going to be a rookie year starter. That's the that's no, the no. thing. So we have to consider that. Yeah, it's also interesting because when you, I mean, my stat also illuminates the interception issue, which I think is the most, I mean, that's, that is the most frustrating part of his game, but also... I think it's particularly frustrating because this is also a player among the pros that I have listed. One of the first ones is touch. The kid does have touch. No doubt. And, and that is a hard thing to reconcile. How can a guy who's so careless with the football also know how can he have like a gentleness about his game um, as well as a toughness when he's running. And that to me happened when his interceptions and this is via PFF happened when he was throwing into tight windows in particular. He has a 44.4% uncatchable pass rate into tight windows, and this was in 2019 when his, uh, when his production took that obvious dip that you mentioned. Yeah. And that 44.4% uncatchable pass rate into tight windows was worse than any of the other quarterbacks in this draft class, including Fromm and Eason. Yeah, I mean, that's it right there. I think he... You know, th there were certain coverages that seemed to really kind of foil him a little bit. And we saw some of the same things working into my player comp here. We saw a lot of the same types of things from Josh Allen at Wyoming. I remember watching his tape and he'd play in these like 17 to 10 games. And, you know, there'd be five balls that would make your hair stand up on your neck. And there were five that would make you want to throw the remote, you know. And it was just, yeah, it, there were times when you said, okay, he's got a cannon, but he can also throw these beautiful touch passes and he can fit it into places that other quarterbacks wouldn't even try. Yeah. But, you know, the other side of the coin is sometimes pretty ugly. And so 
that was my comp for him was a smaller, not a running quarterback. You know, he's not going to barrel people over the way Allen did as a runner. But that same type of evaluation I had when I watched Allen came through when I watched 2019 Jordan Love. I saw a lot of Sam Darnold while I was watching him. And the size lines up, but he's like, to me, Sam Darnold, but like without the SoCal surfer privileged vibe, you know, <laughs> like the, the he, you know, Sam Darnold did make some of those like um, jaw dropping throws in both good and bad yes. ways. Like the, what are you thinking throws? Um, He still can see the seeing of the ghosts, right? Like he still continues to make those. I also did see shades of Colin Kaepernick, but I, and I've seen that comp floating and I totally understand it. My only issue with it is that there's a risk averse issue with that comp in, in my estimation, which is why I felt like Sam Darnold, I think like the backstory doesn't match, yeah. but he's like Sam Darnold if they if they were like separated at birth sort of yeah no like physically speaking worlds. you look at Kaepernick same same type of guy right six three athletic bill has a cannon for an arm the thing with Kaepernick that always drove me nuts was he never threw with like the 2012 13 range he had that kind of touch but he started throwing all heaters you know it was all fastball right and so love at least will change up you know change his his tempo a little bit uh, you know I mean I I still think that he needs to put more more arc on the ball at times but when he does it's a, it's a gorgeous thing and where do you think he could potentially not in his rookie year but maybe eventually do gorgeous things like green team? bay or indianapolis so the two spots that i felt like look they have a starter they're not worried about when is jordan love taking over aaron Rodgers, philip rivers rivers is more you know urgency right especially if he doesn't play well this year but you know that's a place where I feel like they're in good hands with Frank Reich and, and Sirianni and those guys. You know, they're very sort of quarterback friendly offense. And one of the frustrating parts was Jacoby Brissett was, you know, even though the, the not a ton of weapons, but they gave them a good platform for which to work. And Jacoby could just never take that next step. And so you give him time behind the scenes, watch Philip for a year or two, I guess, and, and see what he does and, now, maybe there's something there. Same thing with Rodgers. Maybe in a year or two, we're making a call on, on whether Aaron's going to stay in Green Bay or, or retire or what. I don't know. So those are two spots that made some sense to me. You know, I, I like that you're mentioning Brissette because eventually, obviously, the Patriots were like, yeah, this isn't this isn't going to work yeah. anymore, which is why I think right now Bill Belichick needs his final, his third act masterpiece, mm. his project, his opus. And I think Jordan Love is a fantastic fit for a head coach looking to define his legacy <laughs> by an incredible challenge. Another, you know, I, I actually interviewed Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski yesterday, and I asked him, are there any quarterbacks in this draft that you think your former coach, Bill Belichick, might be interested in? And he was like, well, you know, Bill, Bill likes a value. And I think you might be able to get Jordan Love on a decent value. He might he might leak in a day, too. You never know. That's sort of why I was thinking Colts. They don't have a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Packers like to trade and move around. They're at 30 right now. We'll, you know, there's been some talk about them moving out of the first round. I mean, it would be – that would be Bill's magnus opus right there. I mean, that would – like, yeah. if he turns Jordan Love into a star and he's got all the potential, you know, it would be one more – giant middle finger to the rest of the league. <laughs> it's <pretty> unbelievable. <laughs> everybody else. Yes. For everybody else. Yeah. Well, so if we're talking about moving around, we have to end on Jalen Hurts because no one has moved around in college football in a more, I don't know, documented way, I suppose, than Jalen Hurts, who started his career, obviously, in Alabama, mm. was replaced by Tua, and then in his final year, ended up in Oklahoma. I actually interviewed Jalen earlier today, and I asked him, you know, you've worked with um, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb. It's crazy. Henry Ruggs. Like, what? Give me a name. Give me a word to describe. I like this word game. Give me a word to describe each of these receivers. And he said, they're all smart. Yeah. They're all, like, that's it. They're all smart. They present in different ways, fast you know, capable, athletic, but they're all smart. And I think Jalen Hurts is a lot smarter than people also give him credit for. Yeah, it was so interesting to hear feedback from coaches, evaluators who talked to him at the combine. And they were like, kid is confident, like almost bracingly so. Like they were almost like, 
like, is it too much? You know, and then, you know, obviously you have conversations with the schools, both Alabama and Oklahoma. And they're like, no, 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 this is, this is, trust me, you, you love this guy. I mean, this is exactly what you want. It, it, it almost was, it almost threw some of the, the people off in their interviews because they thought, is this an act? Like, is he coming off as like super, you know, arrogant or something? It was just his undying belief in himself, right? It was there as a, as a prep. It was there in college at both schools. You know, he was the guy who said, absolutely, I'll follow Baylor, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Let me let me see if I can stack myself up to them. There, there are leadership forms that are different. And I think he's absolutely got it. We saw it when he was benched at Alabama, when he stayed, stuck around, was the first guy to, you know, to hug Tua coming off the field in the championship. Yeah. He, I, I, he's got this quality about him that you can't really define. And everybody swears by him. So I'm on board with that. He's He's my leader, you know. So got some things to work on, no doubt. But you can work on those things. You can't teach that kind of intangible stuff that he's got. The leadership is definitely there. And that's your one word. And it bled into mine because mine is, and he's off. <laughs> the kid, <laughs> I mean, I'll, this goes right into my key stat, which is he managed 20 touchdowns in 2019 with a touchdown percentage of 8.6. Yeah. That's the seventh most, that's the seventh most rushing touchdowns among all positions yeah. for reference. J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor, who we talked about in episode two, both had 21 rushing TDs over their respective seasons. That is only one more than Jalen Hurts had in 2019. And I think that leadership, that confidence to just... I it, it is a blessing and a curse on the field because yeah. it is that, no, 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 I don't need to pass. I got it. I got it. I am the son of a high school football coach, not just any high school football coach, but my high school football coach. This is in my brain. It is in my body. I don't need y'all. I got to handle it. And unfortunately, I think that, I mean, this kid was also a competitive power lifter. He's so That's damn right. strong. When you see him push the pile at the goal line, I mean, there is some, there is some, this is not my comp. There is some, like, you can't look at this ability of his and not think about Cam Newton a little bit. Like, he's just so strong. And I think that that ability, again, we talk about crutches um, with a strong arm and Justin Herbert, this uh, ability has become a crush because it has prevented him from developing as a passer. Yeah, and, and, you know, that, that confidence that you talked about, what I wrote down in my notebook. Now, if anyone's watched all our episodes, they know about both of our notebooks, right? <laughs> I wrote, holds on to the ball too damn long with little periods wow. in between each word, just to make sure to the point that I, it was driving me nuts watching him because I love him. I think I can't wait to see what he becomes, but he's got to speed up his clock. And and it, part of it, mm-hmm. I think, is what we were talking about, which is I'm just going to wait till something comes open. I've got the arm to make this throw. I'm going to, you know, I'm a better passer than I was in 2017. You know, that supreme confidence in himself. But it doesn't work like that in the NFL. He's got to get rid of the ball quicker. Most quarterbacks, you want to be under 2.5 seconds. The average pass attempt for him lasted 3.08 seconds. The most of any college quarterback with 50 dropbacks last year. 50. I mean, we're talking about a guy who could come in for three games and, you know, be a statue back there. The problem was he thought I'll either run or I'll find, you know, one of my outstanding receivers will come open. It's just not going to work in my opinion that way in the NFL. Are you going to have to move the pocket or do things that are a little different? So, you know, it was, like you said, it works against him and it works for him. Yeah. I I think that that ever, he is, he is evolving and in some ways maybe because he did become a better passer in 2019. I mean, it does help to have CD lamb bailing you out on the regular. Um, Helps to play in the big 12 too. Yes. But yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, has evolved his game and pushed him. You have him going. Well, let's, let's talk about, let's, I'm just going to say, you have him going to the Raiders. I, I have, I, I just like that a lot because if one of the knocks on his game is that he misses checkdowns because he's, you know, trying to find the hero shot yeah. or the hero run all the time, he can certainly learn about him under Derek Carr. Yeah, <laughs> that's the perfect guy to mentor you, right? And, and they signed Mariota. It's, you know, it's more that I believe the Raiders are going to value, you know, when Mike Bayock came on board, he brought in scouts who you could see it in his first draft last year, character. Like high character guys, they wanted leaders, they wanted team captains, they wanted guys like follow me, you know, once more into the breach kind of guys, right? Yes. 
even the reaches for them, they felt like they have exceptional personal and football character. I don't care as long as they've got, you know, the requisite talent. That's what made me think of them. Will he be there for the Raiders? I don't know. You have a couple other teams that are that are kind of fascinating. I hadn't thought of one of them, to be totally honest. Yeah, I, I have the Raiders down. I mean, I don't know where he's going to land. I mean, the, right. I, I'm not going to pretend to. I think fit. the character, when you let, mentioned Keelan, Cleland Farrell, like we all remember this from last year and the character pick and, and Mayock's influence, although this roster does seem a little bit like a, a fight between mom and dad when you're looking at Gruden and, right. and Mayock here. Yep, the bad but- <laughs> guys, the good guys, the Catholics, the convicts, whatever, yeah. Right. Um, I like the Titans a lot for him, even with um, Tannehill extended uh, to four years because it's not like Ryan Tannehill has been the most durable quarterback. And I think when you take into account the run first offense that Vrabel wants to uh, establish and run or Arthur Smith, I guess at this point um, wants to establish and run, then the skill set that hurts is bringing, you know, it's not like, it's not like Tannehill throws the damn ball that often. So I think that hurts could fit really nicely in there and be called up if Tannehill were to be injured. And I think the Steelers, I mean, I hate this for hurts personally, but I think the Steelers are a nice, you know, the quarterback from that other school in Oklahoma, Mason Rudolph was not um, a flawless exercise last year. Big Ben is bigger than ever. He's not, however, you know, the most mentor-friendly quarterback. I'm sure Mason Rudolph can talk to that. Duck Hodges, that's not an NFL quarterback. So I think there's some room here for Hurts. I just worry that, frankly, the egos under center between Rudolph and Roethlisberger he is going to need those leadership skills if he is going to manage that quarterback room. First of all, how dare you besmirch the good name of Duck Hodges? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> sorry. I lo- sorry. Duck, Duck was my my project last year. I'm like, I'm telling you, there's an NFL quarterback in here. Did I really think he was going to get a shot to play as a rookie? No clue. It was almost like a sort of a running joke on Twitter. But yes, but that's a good point. I mean, they loved Joshua Dobbs coming out. They drafted him. Look, da- I mean... Jalen Hurts is like a supercharged version of him, Joshua Dobbs. So it makes a ton of sense. The Titans was the one I hadn't heard before, and it makes complete sense to me, right? I mean, they have, they have to groom a quarterback. I think they could still make a decision on Tannehill in a couple of years. And you're right, why not have a series? If you're going to only ask Tannehill to throw the ball 13 times in a playoff game or whatever, why can't you earmark one series per half or one you know little package per half where Jalen Hurts is coming in and doing his thing, right? Why not? That's a great way to get him some opportunities, get him on the field, even throw the football. I mean, look, that makes total sense to me. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Let's see if it uh, makes sense to anybody in Nashville. Um, all right, last thing. Let's talk about uh, a comp for for Hurts, which I found a little more difficult. Yeah. To me, Love and Hurts were the hardest <clears throat> to find comps for. So it, it reminded me of, and I'm the years all kind of bleed together now, what was it, 2000, whatever Dak Prescott's junior year was, the year before he came out, you know, you saw him as a runner, you saw him as a capable thrower, you know, he was a good player, right? Had he been, had he come out that year, borderline draftable, right? Sixth, seventh round mm-hmm. pick, something like that. He stays in school. He obviously should have been higher than a fourth-round pick. It was a weird set of circumstances that pushed him down as far as it did. I see him as kind of that pre-senior year Dak in a little bit in that he's he's just starting to figure out how to throw the football. It's not the arm talent. It's really about decision-making, precision. Dak has become a really darn good thrower. So I call him kind of a poor man's or sort of a – unrefined version of Dak because he's not at the level that Prescott is but style wise I see some comparisons I I agree I have Dak down as well I also have Shades of Minshew in there that's a good Um, band by the way Shades of Minshew yeah yeah I see him (laughs) oh my gosh everybody's wearing a cutoff George Um, but I think that there, you know what, again, when I, when I look at the rushing ability and the explosiveness as a rusher, it's not just, you know, he's mobile. Um, he's more than, you know, just a, a running quarterback. Um, he has to me some of the similar, some similar mobility. He's got the strength of cam. So I think there are a lot of, of players that parts of his Mm -hmm. game mirror, but I think overall, you're right. I also had an early career Dak down as well. I like it. Those are both, they both make sense. I mean, when things broke down last year, Minshew could scramble. He made plays on the run. I mean, it was fun to watch for 
you know, five or six games or whatever. And then it, <laughs> you know, got a little weird. So. Well, this has been fun yeah. to record for four episodes. And I mean, they don't know, but uh, Eric and I will be back when we feel like it, because time is a construct by which we no longer abide Correct. in these quarantine days uh, with with Doc and Tot or whatever we yeah. <laughs> whatever we called it. Um, Doc and I don't with remember. Our, yeah, Doc and Chill. With or... our own Rushing Minshews podcast. <laughs> um and but thank you, Eric. I really, really have had fun. I know you're. Can you talk about the Yahoo Sports NFL Draft show that you're a part of on Thursday night? Yeah, it starts at what eight Eastern, whenever the show starts, seven Central, where I'm at. We got people all over the country in their beautiful uh, basements and living rooms and home offices. <laughs> and no, we got a lot planned, and and we've really put a lot into this. And I think it's gonna get the college football voice from Pete Thamel. It's gonna get the player perspective from Tank Williams. You know, I'm gonna try to give. What, I, what I've seen in the players, Michelle Jingers is going to be great hosting the event. You know, we're going to have coaches, college coaches come on like Dan Mullen. We'll ask about Dak, you know. So uh, a lot going to be packed into about four or five hours on, on the set, I would call it, my, my office. The set. Well, uh, that will be exciting. Also, for you fantasy heads, Andy Barron's Matt Harmon, and myself will all be rapidly reacting to the fantasy-relevant players that are drafted, and those will go up on social. So... Don't forget that Matt, speaking of Harmon, and I will be back on Friday, not Thursday, with a first round NFL draft recap slash reaction show. Be sure to follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow the company, since I'm a company woman, as Eric said at the top of the show, at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. And that is at Eric underscore Edholm. Thank you so much. Happy draft week. We're out. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.